0: Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. And now, a word from our sponsor, Paperless Parts. Making parts is a challenge. We all know that. But luckily... You don't have to go at it alone. Paperless Parts is there for you and has a publication called In the Shop. In the Shop features stories written by manufacturing leaders who, like you, are tackling these difficult challenges every day and sharing the solutions they've discovered along the way. You'll hear from people such as the founder of a small family shop or even the president of Mastercam, all who give us the tribal knowledge and tools we need so we don't have to reinvent the wheel in our own show. You might even come across one story in the shop from a tech expert who has advice on digitizing that area of your business that is keeping you up at night. Another might be written by a shop president who's successfully hiring right now amidst the labor shortage. Whatever the topic and whomever the author, if you're in the world of manufacturing, I guarantee there's a story in the shop that you'll relate to or find helpful in some way. Head to paperlessparts.com forward slash in the shop to check it out. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to get the stories sent for free straight to your inbox. Shazam, this is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. 3D printing is sexy, but most shops, rightfully so, haven't used the technology much. If at all, because plastic and composite produced parts are peripheral. Well, 3D metal printed parts are only near net shape and require post machining, which is made harder than machining from stock because they're more difficult to fixture. However, when I was visiting LNH Industrial in Tempe, Arizona, I saw a big metal part 3D printed in a way similar to Stratasys' fused deposition modeling process. When I found out more, I realized that this technique makes sense for creating certain types of machine metal parts. The speed, metal quality, and unconstrained shapes make this an option for low volume replacements for castings and forgings, and particularly for replacement parts, say quantity one, where pattern geometry no longer exists. I reached out to the makers of the 3D printer, Lincoln Electric, and their part printing group to have this conversation. I hope this gives you another solution to offer your customers. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Mark and Dave. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Good morning. Very excited to explore metal 3D printing. And I love your guys' tagline, delivers big parts in less time. And you guys can really make some big parts. Perhaps we could start out. Could you tell me about a success story with a customer that would give us a real good sense of how your metal 3D printing technology works and why it makes sense. This is Mark.
1: The application that I think really embodies what it is we do and the tagline, making big parts in less time, Mm -hmm. was one we we, completed here in the beginning of 2022 uh, with Chevron. Mm -hmm. So Chevron, large oil and gas supplier, they had a refinery, that was in a planned shutdown. And mm-hmm. those planned shutdowns are only for a certain period of time and extending beyond that time is just not acceptable. And you know there's potential to lose significant amounts of dollars for every day that refinery is not online. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so they came to us in a pickle because they found some components, some piping components that needed to be replaced. They did not anticipate having to replace those components at the beginning of the planned shutdown and the traditionally manufactured components were going to take anywhere from two to three months and with the supply chain issues everybody's been having you know the thinking was it could easily be three months Hmm. and so they us because we'd already had some discussions with them and said can you guys print these parts now they're fairly large about three feet in length and averaged over 500 pounds each, and they needed eight. But fortunately we have the capacity in our facility with 18 systems to, and and the wire capacity, it was an Inconel wire. So wire itself is is not something that you can easily just get off the street. Hmm. And so we were able to apply these eight components in 30 days. Hmm. So that was, that was a major win for us and for Chevron in you know again delivering big parts in less time because we have the capabilities we have the capacity to to turn around things that that quickly so the hydrogen plant in the refinery was over the moon with this success and they're installed so they're installed and the plant is operational
0: well that's a perfect example of why you want to have alternatives than um, the traditional way of doing it. A couple questions. What was the rough age of the parts they replaced? Because I I know sometimes you get into parts that are just obsolete, but are these obsolete parts or it was more that somebody could make them but the traditional lead times were just too long? I think it was the traditional
1: lead time was simply too long. They expected the components to last longer than they had. We mm-hmm. we weren't Old, oh, exactly how uh, how long the parts had been in service.
2: Yeah, the, I, I did see the drawing. There was a drawing, and I did see a date of, of 1980 on one of the prints. 1980? Yep. Yeah, so really not that old, but old enough.
0: <laughs> well, you guys say it's not that old, but the product life cycles, I think, in some of the industries that you're working with are perhaps a lot longer than many of the Traditional industries that the shops who were perhaps listening to this are making parts of. So that gets into another question. What did they supply you for data? Did they have a 3D model? Did they have a drawing? Did they just say, here's the part, scan it and, and create your own data?
2: Yeah. So what they provided us was actually 3D solid models. So mm-hmm. they had converted the paper drawings to solid models and then provided us with that, with those details. And really, as part of the process, they did some review of what the existing uh, design was and actually made some modifications to actually, you know, extend life, work better for them going forward. So they actually did some additional um, improvements to the, to the design, and it really allowed us, you know, didn't impact us, right? On, on their end, if they made the change they wanted, sending us the file was all they needed to do, and then we can make the part from that. And we were, you know, within hours from receiving the design, starting the part. Like and, that simple. Um, and in addition, on some of the
1: components, there were additional features mm-hmm. that, during installation, they would have to weld onto those components. And I said, "Well, what if we put those in the CAD model from the get-go?" Oh and yeah, yeah. Those as well. And we yep. said, "Well, sure." So it saved them some additional fabrication steps and time to get these installed even faster. So working in the digital world ahead of time. Is, is really a, a, a big deal and key enabler.
0: Were the, well, let's say the primary part, and then you, you put some other parts that created an assembly, it sounds like, were those Chevron design parts or was this something that they had bought from another company and installed in their plant and then they like, took over the responsibility for the design at this point
1: they were replacing castings and you know chevron doesn't have foundry so the original components were from some foundry at some point in time from somewhere we we don't know the design and responsible for signing off on the components well i was just going to say they were comfortable with the weld wire we use in the application because it's the same weld wire used to weld all these components together anyway so they know how how that weld metal behaves in service and it was
0: more than acceptable for the application. Did you finish machine the parts as well or was that something that they took on?
2: No, that's something they took on and actually the finished size of the parts was acceptable. So there wasn't any machining. What they did do was some surface grinding so that they could do some, you know, visual inspection of the parts and some Mm -hmm. UT type inspection as well as die penetrant. So yeah, they they did some grinding to the surface of the part, you know, and you're talking a couple hours and and the parts completely smooth. If you can imagine, you know, weld metal beads stacked on top of each other. It's not a it's not a smooth surface like a finished machine component, mm-hmm. but it is, you know, I would say it's comparable to a very rough casting, and you can definitely smooth that out, you know, just with some simple grinding. So yeah,
0: that's all they had to had to do. Awesome. Well, that super story and I love how 3D printing can, particularly in the aftermarket, make those significant improvements in the getting parts back in people's hands, particularly in those times when it's an unexpected failure or a, or a part need. I'd like to ask you, Dave and Mark, to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do at Lincoln Electric. Mark, maybe you go yeah. first.
1: I'm Mark Douglas. I'm the business development manager for additive solutions, which is the business unit that Lincoln launched in early 2019 to print parts for customers. So receive the CAD models, drawings from customers. And actually now as the business develops, sometimes we take parts that are broken, obsolete, they don't have drawings perhaps, and we Mm -hmm. will 3D scan. Create a point cloud and then create a CAD model from which we can work to 3D print parts. But basically, we're a part supplier to customers in the as-printed, as we call it, as-printed condition. Or we do have some finished machining operations as well. We can, you know, we can send it out for heat treat, mechanical testing, all sorts of, you know, non-destructive evaluation of the post-printing operations to, to third parties mm-hmm. who we trust. But that's basically what our business here is is in Cleveland.
2: Yeah, and I'm Dave Stereo. I'm the director of the additive Solutions business Unit here at Lincoln. I've been with Lincoln for twenty seven years previous to launching this business. I was actually managing our fabrication and machine shop within our maintenance department as part of my role as a manager of the maintenance operations. You know, and you brought up earlier kind of the question of what's an interesting story. We're actually printing one right now. So in our production facility, we make stick electrode, and as part of making stick electrode, there's a piece of, there's a, what we call a material cylinder that we use in that process where we load what we call the slugs of coating that we put on stick electrodes. Mm-hmm. And something happened in our production facility where uh, the cylinder actually got scored. And so we're actually printing this cylinder right now. It is about three inches in diameter. It's about, uh, the wall thickness is about three inches thick. And this part is eight feet tall and it's 8,000 pounds. We're about a week and a half, two wow. weeks away from that part. Yeah. So talk about real world applications. You know, on my end, running the machine fab shop, this is absolutely, you know, really, you know, changing because we're going to have this component back and installed four months sooner than we'd even get the cylinder material right in stock to start doing the machining. We're going to beat the timeline by at least four months. So this is the kind of game-changing type things that you can do with 3D print metal printing. And, uh, you know, we're really excited about it. I'm totally geeked out every time we get <laughs> to do something like this. You know, my, my old friends over in the maintenance department, we get a call, and the next thing we know, we're scanning something and uh, converting it to a CAD file and uh, shortly thereafter printing a part. And, and it's, you know, when you talk about these parts, right, this, this part, like I said, it's going to be 8,000 pounds. You know, that's not for the faint of heart, and that's not your desktop printer right? No, no <laughs> A not little not. bit different.
0: <laughs> well, th- you raise a really good point there, Dave, that the you service a market where the starting shape is not a billet of material that someone could easily get from a material supplier. And, and even though it might be a lot of hours to hog it out, you have that option to replace a casting. The types of parts you can't get a, I don't know what this, this is a three foot by however, you know, th- those types of materials, the the availability is not there. So you're working typically from a casting or a forging or a weldment or you, you name it. So the viability of this is really, it takes out a the where you lose control, which is that first step in the material supply.
2: Yeah, absolutely, right. We if we have that material in wire form, we can m- pretty much make any shape looking part that you want. You know, if, if somebody just wanted a billet from us that was out of a strange shape, we could print. It. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: That's yeah, what
2: the capability is right? That wouldn't be ideal. That wouldn't be using all the capabilities that we have, but we could absolutely do that, right? And I think you're right. There is a challenge out there in the industry with finding the material and the material size that you need when you start getting past what I'll call is the, uh, you know, would be the everyday type uh, shapes and sizes that you would see in a traditional machine or fabrication shop, you know, and that's the casting or a forging, he starts opening up the, the windows for the possibility for that to be 3D metal printed.
0: Yeah. Well, and I always think casting, forging, long lead time. My basic question to you guys is Lincoln Electric, you think welding. How did Lincoln get into additive metal printing? What's the story behind that? Go ahead. Well,
1: if you really want to look at it, it started 100 years ago.
0: Um, okay.
1: <laughs> there's actually a patent, there's a patent out there from a guy at Westinghouse from 1925 where he was He conceived of using stick electrodes to stack weld beads to make decorative vessels of an ornamental and useful nature. (laughs) So people have had that idea for a while. And then even in the seventies and eighties, there's something called weld metal buildup. And so in, in different industries, there will be people who simply take a, a, a MIG gun and they stack a whole bunch of weld beads together on top Mm -hmm. of an existing component, and then they can do some finished machining and grinding because they just need something relatively fast.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's been there, but what wasn't there was the control, the software, the Mm -hmm. automation and robotics. And so over a decade ago, we saw the potential for this with our automation business, which had been growing quite a bit with robotics and and knowing about- Excuse
0: me, Mark, when you say your automation, robotics, so if I'm thinking of it correctly, you wanted to automate the actual, the traditional welding so that enabled you to get some expertise in control systems and then the robots to apply it to traditional welding.
1: Correct. I mean, I think people in the trades have known for a couple of decades with the winding down of trade schools and high mm-hmm. schools and things, yeah, there there's an effort now to to build that back up. You know, guys like Mike Rowe and, and yourself and others
2: mm-hmm. are,
1: are Lincoln are trying to help build the trades back up because we, we saw all the, the, the skilled trades retiring and there's this huge gap, this knowledge and skills gap to replace them. And so companies that keep welding, they were gonna have to adopt automation. Mm-hmm. And so Lincoln saw that a couple decades ago and has invested heavily in automating the welding systems. And so taking that now that we have a $500 million plus automation business, mm. taking that with skills and welding and knowledge of welding and wire consumables and power supplies, how the arc behaves, combining that all together to do this weld metal buildup, which we now call 3D metal printing, it, it just made sense. But it really accelerated. Probably about five six years ago, when we um, acquired a couple automation companies that had already been exploring that as well, mm. and had some very advanced automation tools and capabilities that we were able to really kickstart and, and get this moving to the point where we launched the business in
2: two thousand nineteen.
0: Anything you want to add, Dave?
2: No, I think you know it. To me, it's you know you start off when you're printing and you're, you know, we've, we've seen quite a few people try to enter the space. There's a lot of universities that are doing material testing and there's a lot of people that can make walls and, uh, you know, simple, very simple, think like a wall type shape, right? Maybe it's, you know, 10 inches long by 10 inches high by an inch thick. And they say they're doing 3D metal printing and they are, but, you know, now make a cylinder or make a unique shape. Like we're currently, we're printing a, a suction bell for a pump system, 20 inch diameter, type piping, you know, you start to get in those complex shapes where you have, you know, like a wheel and hub type or a spoke and hub type application, right? And how easy can what they're doing, can they actually convert that? And it really goes back to the software. And, and, and as part of, you know, this capability that we have, it's because we have this software called print OS that really allows us to incorporate everything that we're doing associated with the control of the robot, the welding parameters. What we need as far as, you know, whether the part's thin or thick in a piece of material, maybe it starts out thin and goes thick along a a weld bead. We're able to control all those parameters and really have that strong feedback loop that allows us to make these very complex shapes. We've, We've gotten before where we've got CAD drawings and we've never seen them before on our end. And within two hours, we're printing the part. Like we have the material in stock, we're printing the part. It is, it is that kind of capability that we have that really, to me, is really exciting. And, you know, they're, just seeing where we can go with it is going to be amazing. Just where we are today versus where we were three years ago. Um, it's, you know, I, I have a hard time predicting where we'll be in three years, right? It's just the amount of, you know, growth well, that part of
0: it is Part of that is to accelerate it through you, know, you guys being on podcasts like this one so people become aware of what you can do. I would love to have you guys get into a lot of detail of how your process works. What, what are the steps involved? What are the components of your system? I, there's maybe some proprietary things you can't talk about, but really so that we as a listener get a sense. And I know that there's videos uh, online that maybe we could be pointed to as well, but if you guys want to run with that for a bit and, and whatever you think is important. Sure, so let's
1: consider, let's, let's say the, the workflow first, you get a request from a customer. So um, the customer will come to us with, generally, they just found out about us from, say, a podcast, an article, a web search. I just want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. And typically, you start with a sample part. So here, here's a part I think that might fit. What do you guys think? And so we'll assess it and say, well, might not be a great application. Uh, it's really thin structures probably better to continue fabricating it or it's a really high volume component you're producing thousands of these things you know uh, we don't scale like castings so we probably won't be cost competitive but let's say the, the part looks like it's a good fit give them a quote they like it they come back with a po and and really it starts with the cad model So we like drawings too that gives us information about where things might need to be machined or finished you could have information on there about some material specs or maybe it needs to be to the asme pressure vessel code which we have qualified procedures the asme pressure vessel code as well now or american petroleum institute has an additive standard we produce parts to that standard like the chevron components and so the the drawing can be very helpful too so we take the cad model put it into our software And it does what in the additive world, 3D printing world, called slicing. So additive is a layered manufacturing process. So it will slice the part into, say, a thousand
0: layers because it's a really big part. Do you use the the STL format or do you have another one? Typically an
1: STP file. So step file Mm -hmm. is what generally give us uh, STLs. Can work, but they. Well, they I don't.
0: I mean, when you are, do you convert the STP to an STL, or is it some format that you've developed internally for yourself? No. So we
1: we can take a native CAD, a STEP file. So you know, Parasolid works. Hmm. STEP file. Our software does what it does with that file to do the slicing, and then it will path plan the robot. It will take in consideration the material we're printing, so it knows how to space the weld beads, how to stack the weld beads, what the um, speeds and feeds of the wire should be, because we have a lot of data supporting that. Mm-hmm. And once it determines how each layer needs to be constructed, then it sends the file out to the robots automatically. Mm-hmm. And the robots are automatically programmed. Some of the open source slicer, so-called, there can be some issues because then you have to take an output from that file and then program your robot, your motion control system, what have you. And there's a, post, a post-processing post operation step, but th- that's all included in our print software. So it goes to the robot. So hopefully by that time, we've involved the production crew Has you typically have to work off of a base plate a build plate, if you will. You need to start mm-hmm. with something growing the part. And that will then secured. We'll have the wire. We know what, what type of wire alloy. Let's say it's a, a low-carbon steel. That's ready to go. And so in that system, you'll see a row will have a, a, a floor plate for really large parts, and maybe the geometry is relatively simple. We'll also have a two-axis positioner that can move the components around and swing them so, that way we can print more complex shapes. Think about print and rotate. So, you print a part, rotate it 90 degrees, and then you build a T, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. Or we can have a continuous motion as well. And that allows you to print things, so called in the additive world again, that have overhangs. Mm-hmm. You, can't,
0: you can't melt weld metal on air.
1: Do you use supports? Work.
0: Do you use support structures for overhangs, or with the robot you're able to get around that, or the mix?
1: Exactly. So then you have you have to build support structures, which is like scaffolding, right, mm-hmm. underneath the, the the metal you actually want to to deposit, and then that scaffolding, that support structure needs to be removed. Sometimes we do still need supports, but having that uh, positioner gives you a lot of flexibility to. Eliminate or at least greatly reduce the amount of support structures. So we have those positioners, and depending on the component, we will build off the floor. Like this 8,000 pound part, it's um, off the floor. <laughs> the positioner goes up to about 3,500 pounds. Okay, so we have the positioners, and with the robot, then there's of course the torch, there's the wire bundle, there's the wire feeder, and it's an enclosed system, but it's still open atmosphere. Enclosed system because we want – we have a fume hood because we want to extract the, the fumes from the welding process, just like um, any other welding – you know, arc welding process, you want to get rid of the fumes. But it's, it's localized gas shielding, so it's not a pressurized chamber, anything like that. And then next to the cells are the power supplies, which we use our PowerWave advanced power supplies. We'll, we'll have a drum of wire. Of course, you have the robot controls, control box and then you'll have a filtration system for, for the fumes. But that gives you a picture and a sense of what the, the components are in the system. And, and then after you've sent the CAD model to the system, then away you go.
0: Asking a basic question, the robot is the where the wire is being fed and then melted to build up that slice, the, the robot is essentially the, the printhead and except yeah. instead of being a static printhead, it is dynamic. And that gives you the flexibility to put material in places that a, a static printhead wouldn't be able to, and it, it, it makes complex geometry, probably faster and more easily obtained. Am I correct in thinking of it that way?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we think about the size of these systems, you know, when you're talking about you're building something that could be eight feet tall, 8,000 pounds, you know, then the, the way that the robotic reach works right now, we couldn't print something that was five feet in diameter, 8,000, you know, eight feet tall, because you wouldn't be able to get that reach all the way up as you're um, going in the robot. So, so think about it along these lines, we can print like a three by four by five block, of steel on the base plate, or you can print something as tall as a, a foot by a foot by nine feet tall. Right. So give you an idea, kind of, there's an envelope oval, if you will, that you can print within. Now, with that said, that's our current system limitations. That doesn't mean what the future is, right? So making our own automation systems, we can make bigger, you know, positioners. We can make the robot, we can raise the robot up. We can put it on a track to have more linear length. So a lot of flexibility associated with where we can go with this. We currently chose the size systems we have based off of some of the data that we had from, you know, who was coming to us very early on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that doesn't limit us, you know, might limit us today, but it doesn't limit us tomorrow, right? We have a lot of flexibility to be able to, to modify a system to make it be able to do much larger size parts. I think it is really interesting
1: is that, yes, you can go really big. And, you, you know, go big or go home, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that is an option. But as you go bigger and bigger, the prints get longer and longer. We're talking four right. or five weeks. It could go, you know, two months, perhaps, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Well, that increases the risk, though, too. If something happens to the equipment and you have downtime, then you're unable to finish the part, right? Mm. Yes. Um, and we have some applications where, okay, we didn't have a printer large enough. But at the end of the day, it's weld metal, so it can be a fabrication. So we yes. had a, a pretty cool, pretty cool part. We did with a, a sculptor architect, her name's Jenny Saban, And, and she had a sculpture that was 28 feet tall. Well, we can't print 28 feet, but we <laughs> broke it up into nine sections. It was, it was a stainless steel component sculpture and broke it up into nine sections, printed those shipped them to Omaha, Nebraska, from Cleveland. And a local fabricator, not having seen this before, not ever having welded 3D printed metal before, Hmm. was able to fabricate the structure. They got it passivated, cleaned up, put some other interesting uh, items on it. And now it's at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. And it's a really cool uh, looking sculpture. So you don't have to be limited by just the size of the system. You can break it up into components and that reduces the risk if, if the system goes down and, and actually you can get it faster too. So, you know, right. we could deliver those nine parts with nine systems in a matter of uh, a couple weeks versus, you know, if you try to do the whole thing it would,
0: it would have taken a couple of okay. months. Right. right, let's talk about the parts themselves. And I'm sure people listening are saying, well, What types of materials can I get a part made out of? Let's jump into that.
1: Sure. At the base level, you could say if there's a welding wire, then you can probably 3D print it. Mm. So we work with wires, not powder. So if you're familiar, your listeners are familiar with 3D metal printing, Mm. um, you can print usually metal powder or wire. We use wire. And so if there's welding wire available, you can probably print it. You know, we attacked this market though with the welding alloys that we thought would have the, the most commercial applications, at least initially. And that's a low carbon steel, high strength, low alloy steel. So your carbon steels, mm-hmm. uh, stainless steels, they're austenitic stainless steels like 316, uh, 316L, and uh, martensitic stainless steels such as 410 nickel molly. There's a precipitation hardened steel, so 17.4 is a common. Precipitation hardened stainless steel that's available. In Canal alloys of so 617, 625, mm. 718. And we're continuing to expand the materials. You know, we have super duplex stainless steels on the list, creep resistant ferritic steels, you know, on the on the to-do list. We've developed Invar, which is a low mm. coefficient of thermal expansion alloy. We we can print with that one for aerospace tooling. Really, if you think about it, if, if there's a weld wire available, then we can probably
0: print it, but it has to make commercial
1: sense as well.
0: It seems like it would be a great application for tooling for composites.
1: And that is what we're doing. An interesting, uh, when we talk about acquisitions before of automation companies, we acquired a machine shop and fabricator in mm-hmm. Detroit in 2018 We launched this business outside the norm for Lincoln Electric, the welding company. Mm-hmm. to buy a company 35 cncs but what we knew is that one there would need to be some finish machining capabilities for us to deliver components to customers and able to machine really large parts i mean baker has it has a five axis cnc with a 45 foot long bed wow and the envelope is about 20 by 10 so wow. it, it's a it's a massive five axis mill is really accurate. So we acquired them. But one reason, to, another reason we acquired them is because they have significant exposure to aerospace tooling, the layup molds to make mm-hmm. composite structures for aircraft. Yeah. And um, we've been doing work with companies like Boeing, 3D printing in VAR, as well as carbon steel tools for uh, layup molds to make composite
0: structures, composite parts. Seems like that's gone and <laughs> Better way to do it. How about your more generic aluminum? Is that something you've printed?
2: So we have printed aluminum. Um, it, you know, aluminum is a little more challenging for, mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's an easier material to acquire in your, uh, you know, billet forms, right? And the other is, you know, just the way we do, you know, our controls on our system. Aluminum is uh, very conductive, and so it causes some issues on our end. We're working through those. We've got a development uh, plan to to address those issues. But, you know, so we've done some things with aluminum, but it is a little more challenging at this point. But our plan long term is to continue to invest and in, in, uh, drive our capabilities going forward, you in, know, in, in, in aluminum and in nickel, aluminum, bronze, you know, those kind of mm. type of applications. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: Anything else you want to add on materials?
2: Well, I think Mark's said it pretty pretty well. I think, you know, if you can if it's a weld wire that's available out there, there's a possibility that we can absolutely print with it. Okay. If you can weld it together, it's it's got high potential that we can make a part out of it.
0: When you are printing, what is the minimum? Let's say we're we're doing a cylinder. What's the minimum wall thickness that you can print? It's probably the the bead oh. size, I guess.
2: Right? Yeah, about a quarter inch. About yeah. Right, exactly the bead size of
1: of of traditional mig weld, so we're talking about a quarter of an inch.
2: Yeah, if you're if you're comparing it to powder, you know, laser powder, three D printing, you know, we're on the order of magnitude of ten times the surface definition that you could get, right? Mm -hmm. So we're about ten times higher than you can get with powder. We're also probably ten, if not more, times faster (laughs) and larger. And larger, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. You guys are an expert in wire. And I know that as you go smaller with wire, there are challenges that come up. There's so many more parts, the smaller you go, you're probably barely scratching the universe of parts that you can already address with your current systems. But is there the potential over time to do thinner walls and apply this to smaller parts? And in particular, I'm thinking anything that that is a casting or a forging because many of them are smaller would this would be a great substitution because I've always thought of 3d metal printing as near net shape you because of almost every 3d printed metal part has a surface that needs to be mated to another surface and requires finished machining uh, maybe not at some of the scale that you're doing but certainly the smaller parts so it would be potentially a, a fast, inexpensive way, in totality, to to make smaller parts. What What are your thoughts there? Is there or am I reaching too far in the future?
1: No, I don't think you're reaching too far in the future. What, what I would say, um, parts larger than, say, a basketball, larger than a microwave, tend to lend themselves to our our technology, the, the big welding. Based additive. As you said, we can go to smaller wires, but at the end of the day, you're still getting a weld puddle mm-hmm. that's about a quarter of an inch, maybe a little bit narrower, but let's say you can go to an eighth of an inch. It's still not really high resolution. And so oftentimes it's, the smaller you go on parts in general, the higher resolution is required. So it's tough for us to get that higher resolution. There's no free lunch for mm-hmm. parts. And if you're talking smaller parts, probably higher volumes. And, and the higher volumes, uh, when you think about our, our metal printing with a robot, it can only print one part at a time. You can print one part and go to do another layer or another part, another layer or another part if they're smaller. That saves you a little bit of time, but not a ton of time. It's a lot different than the scaling that's available once you have a mold made or once you have a, a you know your, your pattern made. To make the, the mold.
0: Well, I'm th- I'm just... thinking even in the s- the smaller size range, there's with the way companies get acquired and go out of business. That uh, you, you said there's a relatively young print of 1980. There's a lot of smaller parts that in use that something breaks finally, and there is no manufacturer still in existence to to make it. So your alternative would be to recreate a casting or or maybe a forging. So I I would think even though the parts are smaller, that there still is a market there and would encourage you to explore that because I know our, our customer base, our listener base is definitely more in that size part range, but we do have, we do have shops that are definitely making bigger parts as well. You are, only doing this in-house and you offer the full range from give us a design we'll work with you to finish machining and maybe plating and all that and you're, you're giving people parts do you have plans to sell the systems yourself or you're looking to keep that as a service
2: so right now, the plan is to uh, keep that as a service, but that doesn't preclude where we are, you know, 10 years from now. There's a lot of movement in this space. When you talk about the, the size parts that we're printing, you know, part of what comes into play are things like ASME, you know, those codes and standards, API, you know, then you've got some of the individual players, like, you know, some of the, i call them standard type organizations. Um, and so, you know, on, on our end, it's about driving that technology. And that's part of what we're doing with our in-house mm-hmm. production side is we also have a a development side that we're doing. And part of that development is really driving the technology and the ability to use this technology throughout all these industries, right? And so, you know, having that expertise in-house, the capabilities to not only make the parts, but do do the development work, we think is going to actually drive this technology a lot faster. And, you know, the other thing is, at the end of the day, you're talking about when you want to make a part, you want to make something that's big, and you're talking 5,000 pounds, run that. You have to have the right people. But at the end of the day, it is still manufacturing, right? It's not lights out. It's really close to lights out, but it's not lights out. You're doing mm-hmm. welding. You've got um, you know, your consumables that you need to change out with your welding applications. And so yeah. I think we're uniquely set up to actually address that. We have 18 production systems currently in, in our facility with room to expand. And we're in the process of expanding already. And so I think we have a unique solution that helps drive this. Again, does that preclude us from from selling systems at a later date? Absolutely not. But currently our strategy is to, is to really drive it and you know, drive it internally
0: at this point in time. I would love to hear another Chevron type story to help the listener and myself understand really all the possibilities where your technology can apply Is there anything that comes to mind
1: we have several but again interesting anecdote this is actually just from last week we had a customer who approached us a, a few weeks ago interested in 3d printing what do we think and they sent us an rfq uh, mm-hmm. for a part it was about three to four hundred pounds about call it a foot and a half by a foot and a half kind of box and they sent us rfq we gave them a quote it was Simple shape, so within a week, uh, they turned around, gave us a P.O. pretty quickly, and then we printed the part and delivered it to them in actually less than a week. And And I caught up with them last week and said, how, how did it go? What did people think about the parts? Said, well, we were pretty skeptical about it. They looked at it and said, wow, it, it looks better than we thought. And then they hmm. machined it, and they said, wow, it, it's not Swiss cheese inside. It looks like a regular... <laughs> <laughs> looks like a regular rock component that was machined. They said, well, okay, that's just the, we just skimmed the surface, right? We, we have to do radiographic testing and ultrasonic testing. So they, they did the non-destructive evaluation and it came out clean. Wow. That was really good. So that was great feedback. That was really positive. Uh, and it was a, a low carbon steel. And I asked, well, how did it compare to uh, traditional? I assumed it was going to be a casting so well, so we're still waiting for quotes back from the foundries.: <laughs> So I, I think that we're not always that fast, but we can be a, a really fast option when you need it, and when a customer's machinery and equipment because this is a, an equipment OEM, and they've had components installed, like you say, for decades, and you never know when that odd part that breaks it wasn't supposed to break. That needs to be replaced, and that customer's screaming at you because mm-hmm. their equipment is down and not producing their parts. It can be a pretty valuable service. And you know, because of our software and ability to take a CAD model and just go versus having to go through the pain of, of designing the mold, I mean, that mm-hmm. takes time. Yeah, to design the mold process and how that needs to be done, and then from there, then make the pattern and then make the mold and then, then pour it. And then, of course, if it's from Southeast Asia, then you have a really long time. <laughs> time. Yeah. 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 Before you get it. So, because it's unfortunate we've lost a lot of foundries here in the US, right? Yeah. I mean, right. like all things we've lost. And so, this is a way of kind of onshoring uh, a digital foundry.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's important that you expand a little bit along the metallurgical lines The fact that this is equivalent to, if not better than billet material.
1: It is. And something I think we we should have said during the material metals portion is that while we can be replaced for castings and forgings, oftentimes it's not a one-to-one on the material. So when you think about the weld wire alloys that are out there, they're not an exact chemistry match. In fact, they're right. usually not a match to the casting, and forging, like you get from ASTM. Mm-hmm. So uh, you do have to think through on the 3D printing. You know, really, more what do you want at the end of the day? What are the material properties you want? What's the corrosion resistance you want? And then we can work with you because again, we have some really smart materials guys to help you work through the appropriate weld wire to substitute for your casting and foraging. You know, on our factory, we're replacing ductile iron. So we have some, you know, some cast irons we're replacing. And in these applications, that's just fine, if not even better, because typically we have higher yield strength, higher tensile strength, and better toughness mm-hmm. uh, than the cast iron. So, but the, there's definitely something that to think about. They might not have an exact chemistry match. And so you just need to think through, you know, what could suit you for your application. Again, anecdotally from people we've talked to is Mm -hmm. one reason a few customers came to us the reason they want the 3d metal printing after they've machined the parts and see the quality is they're tired of repairing their castings (laughs) um yeah and uh, and what what do you repair castings with weld metal right so let's just start with weld metal from the get-go.
0: right yeah you're adding a different material to your existing material yeah well this has been super informative for me. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I I want to share with the listener places where they can go to learn more. Additive.linkinelectric.com is a great starting point. Any other suggestions on uh, are there, you guys are you big on social media? You have YouTube videos or you have an Instagram account, or is that coming?
1: Lincoln Electric has LinkedIn. Facebook, you know, Instagram, and then they, you know, our social media will occasionally put out some more additive work. Yeah. Uh, so but you got to it, hunt. hunt for it. <laughs> you got to hunt a little it's, bit. There's a larger Lincoln organization. Yeah, yes. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But that's the, great. That's actually really good and worth emphasizing is because there are many 3D printing companies, variety of materials, they are so constrained by money in developing technology. And as long as you have a path to profitability, can maintain profitability, I would assume that you've got a parent who wants you to succeed and will give you all the tools to make that happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have a significant investment in what we've done to date. So we have our own 75,000 square foot facility. We have 18 production cells today. We've done, you know, an acquisition, you know, of a of a very large uh, machine and, and uh, tooling builder up in Detroit. We have invested a significant amount of money into this organization, into our in our additive solutions business here at Lincoln and you know, the plan is to continue to do that. We are we've started out with five of us in the building. We're over 30 today. We are uh, growing, expanding, and continuing to invest. And so we think we have a unique you know, value proposition for people out there that find themselves in unique situations that need a little bit of help. I wouldn't say we're supermen, but we think like we can be pretty helpful. We like it when we can help our end customers so, and provide them a solution that you know, they really didn't necessarily know existed even uh, a few months ago. So that's mm-hmm. the exciting part, I think, as we go forward.
0: Well, let me ask you somewhat of a loaded question and we can edit this out if we, if we have to, but I'm a pricing enthusiast. How this is brand new. How do you price your parts? How do you think about that? Because it's so subjective, probably what you can charge.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to, you think about it, you have an investment in a piece of equipment. And so, you know, you know what you want to make off of that piece of equipment. It's no different than any piece of equipment you would install. And then you've got your raw material, if you will, the wire going mm-hmm. into the part, the wire, gas. There's some consumables associated with making the parts, the so things that get consumed in the manufacturing process. So the liners and the novels for the welding area, and you pretty much put that all together time in the system. That comes into play as well. So you've got those variables. There's not a lot of variables, but you have those few things that come together, and and uh, you know that that basically sets where the pricing is going to be for the parts.
0: So it sounds like you're using a cost plus model.
2: Um, I I suppose you could say that. I mean, as any organization, if you're not being profitable, you're not going to be in business very long, right? So you know, but the idea is that you're providing a value that isn't readily available out there, and that's you know that's kind of the drive point.
0: Right, um, and that's where I get in get in my soapbox a little bit on, on pricing, but I always like to price to demand rather than a cost plus, and that's what I did at my shop. In, in particular, we had a very structured expedite charge where mm-hmm. we had a standard lead time, and then if you wanted it faster, we sure. would deliver it to you, but there was a upcharge, and it was – Over time, very defined, and we what that what that allowed us was that we weren't always adding new jobs to the end of the queue because there were some people who legitimately, like Chevron, you didn't want to be you don't want to say to a Chevron who's got a plant that if it's not running is costing them what ten million dollars a day or something like that, you know, for a ten thousand dollar part or whatever you end up charging them. So we wanted to have that capacity always. And the way that we weeded out the people who, it was a nice to have them faster versus it must to have them faster was the expedite charge. And it granted it, it helped us financially, but it really was more of a tool to separate those who we had to service. And we would, in our machining and sheet metal business, we would turn parts around even same day if we could, or if necessary, because customers, they, the financial impact of not having those parts was so much greater. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I, totally get your, your point there. And and it's, you know, it is part of what you look at when you're running a business, right? I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you have people that, you know, everything's everything's on fire, well, okay, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> right.
2: Let's charge because it seems like everything's always on fire. But the reality of it is, you know, our, our whole goal here, you know, and, and we're, we're still new. We're three years in. We're still new. We want more customers. We're looking for them and we're open for business and, and we're ready for that next part. <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, it sounds like you've got lots of room for expansion. And I think this is a fantastic way to get to that near net shape. How can people learn more? How do they, if they've got a project they think might be a fit, where do they start?
1: As you mentioned, the website is, is a great place to start. Additive Uh, That dot com, and uh, from there, uh, you can hit the contact us button. There's a request for quote button and you can even upload files there if need be, or just hit contact us and we'll get back to you and uh, discuss your application. It often just starts with with a phone call or these days, a WebEx discuss the application and see where we go from there. But the website gives you a good amount of information about who we are and, and and what some of the potential is a lot of things we discussed here. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and just reach out to us through Contact Us, and you'll probably end up uh, talking to me or one of the guys okay. working with me.
2: Excellent. I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, having us on today. Uh, this is exciting. Looking forward to getting feedback from what your, uh, what your audience uh, thinks, and hopefully we hear from them, some of That'd them, too. Great. That'd be great. Yeah, thank well, you for your time.
0: Yeah, and I want to give a shout out to Mike Wandler. At LNH Industrial, which is where I learned about you guys, he has a couple shops—one uh, one in Wyoming, one in Phoenix—where I saw one of your parts, uh, and it was. There's one thing in watching the videos and going online, when you actually see a part in person that you guys have made, I think it clicks and you go, okay this is how we should be doing things in certain circumstances. Kudos to you guys for bringing it to market. And I, I think you guys really have fun jobs because you're at the cutting edge of something new. And it, there's always those new applications and those rescues that you're going to be involved with to break up the monotony of the traditional day-to-day production.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Mike's a great guy. And if you want to see parts, We're open to visitors here in Cleveland. The summers are are really nice in Cleveland. So uh, come out (laughs) soon, right? It won't last for long, but right now it's nice.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, listeners, I'll throw this out. If you machine castings, particularly big ones, of course, and maybe thinking of the aftermarket space, thinking of parts where you only have prints and not 3D models, Is this a technology you might want to investigate? Until next time, keep those 3D printers printing, those lasers cutting, and those spindles turning. Have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, It also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to the job shop show.